0: Amen. All right. Check it out. Are you ready for this, Bobby? All right. Check it out. One day, there was this uh, Christian lady, and uh, she had to do a lot of traveling for her business, right? And so naturally, she did a lot of flying, okay? And so, but the problem was flying made her nervous there, and so she always took her Bible along with her to read, you know, to help her relax. Not a bad thing. It's good. And so one time, she's sitting next to this guy on the plane, and, and he saw her pull out her Bible there, and, uh, but he gives out this little chuckle. <laughs> you ever sit by those folks? <laughs> yeah. OK. Right? Kind of laughed at her and and went back to what he was doing. And and then after a while, he turned to her and he goes, (laughs) Come on. He says, You you don't really believe all that stuff in there, do you? Right? And uh, the lady replied, Well, of course I do. It's in the Bible. And then the man says, Well, God, what what about that guy that was swallowed by that whale? And the lady says, Well, yeah, Jonah. Yeah, I believe that. It's in the Bible. And so the man asked, Well, how do you suppose he survived all that time in the whale? And the lady says, Well, I don't really know i guess when i get to heaven i'll ask him. and so the man sarcastically asked well what if he isn't in heaven and the lady replied well then you can ask him (laughs) yeah now how many guys would admit that was a pretty good comeback there from that christian lady there not too bad Right? Okay, quick on our feet, okay? But here's my point. If you and I are ever going to come back uh, with any kind of comeback uh, to the skeptical questions that keep coming our way, uh, we not only need to be quick on our feet like that lady was, but we do need to know our Bible, period, okay? And isn't that the problem that we've been seeing, unfortunately, going on today? Many Christians, we have no comeback whatsoever because we're not studying the Bible. And that's bad enough, but now it's spreading, okay? This lack of Bible studying is now producing churches full of Christians who are acting like these practical atheists and what that is we say we believe in god of course hey we're christians we are supposed to say that but half the time with our lips and our lives we act like he's not even there okay and it not only keeps us from growing in our walk with god it keeps other people from believing in god and that's why we're going to continue our study uh, on the character of god we got to get rid of this practical atheism by knowing who god is okay now we've already seen the first thing we need to know about god is hello this is not a pipe dream god is real Okay, we saw that with tons and tons of evidence there. The second thing we need to know about God is, hello, it's not a religion. It's a personal, loving, intimate relationship. God is personal or intimate, we saw there. The third thing, hello, God is wise, man. Why would you go any other place for wisdom, for advice? Anybody ever need advice once in a while? Those of you didn't raise your hand let me give you some advice you need help okay right hey why would you go anywhere else go to God he knows everything hello okay and then the last two times we saw the fourth thing about God is God is sovereign now once again let me refresh your memory what does that Christianese phrase mean sovereign it means this all things how many all things things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his divine direction or permission Okay? And there we saw when you and I begin to understand the sovereignty of God, it not only, I believe, revolutionizes our walk with God, okay, but it begins to answer some of those skeptical questions we get asked about God, like the lady on the plane, okay? And the second skeptical question we saw that gets answered when we understand God's sovereignty is this question Does a Christian have to suffer? Okay? As you can see there uh, with John, of all Sundays, John, that's great. I'm glad you brought a guest. Uh, this is the real John, in case you're wondering. Uh, but anyway, there we saw that, uh, yes, we do have to suffer as a Christian, okay? But the good news was it wasn't all for nothing, okay? God uses all of our pain. He uses all of our challenges, all of our difficulties. And what's he do? He turns it all around for a good. He turns us, remember the premise there? He turns us from a beetle baby believer into what? Hence, John's picture, right? A Conan the Christian, right? That's what God is doing. He makes something fantastic out of all of our trials okay but that's all. No. the third skeptical question that i believe gets answered when we begin to understand god's sovereignty is simply this all right why does suffering occur right why does suffering occur okay not only where does it come from that was the first one and does a christian have to suffer but why does it happen okay and believe it or not folks when you understand god's sovereignty to me this is just this is awesome all right, this is like a, a soothing balm on, a, on, a, on pain. Okay? The events in our lives, the scripture is very clear, they do not happen arbitrarily. Okay? There's nothing willy-nilly about them. God's never on the backside of Pluto wondering, hey, what's going on with Jim Jubinville this week? Uh, I sure hope the a- angels send me an email real quick. Man, my phone's down my battery died. I hope I get that text message to figure out what's going on. Are you kidding me? God is sovereign, okay, over all things. And so that tells us there are specific reasons, listen, why things happen to us, even as a Christian, including our suffering, including our pain. There has to be a specific reason. And the Bible is clear, folks, when you do the research, no matter what we go through in life, period, certainly as a Christian, it is always due to one of four things, okay? Why does suffering occur? Here's your first possibility. It's because of our own sin, Turn to somebody and say, hey, we're our own worst enemy. And you can say it like that if you'd like. Okay, okay. It's our own sin. This is why it happens. Okay, uh, But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. The Bible is very clear about this. Galatians chapter 6, okay, verses 7 through 10. And we're going to take a look at that nifty law called reaping what you sow. Okay, Why does suffering occur? Why do we go through hard times? Well, believe it or not, sometimes it's us. Okay, anybody ever make a goofball decision? Yeah, you're out there. I'll give you a story in a little bit. Uh, Galatians, let's take a look. Verses, uh, chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. Let's take a look at this. First of all, I love how he starts this. Do not be deceived. Okay, get this straight. Don't kid yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Don't listen to somebody else. Don't be deceived about what I'm about to share with you. Don't balk at it. Don't scoff at it. Here's the facts, right? Don't be deceived. God cannot be what? Mocked. Okay, a man reaps what he sows Okay, it's what he says there and here's your two options every day you get out of the bed He says the one who sows to please the sinful nature the bad spot from that nature. What are you going to get? Destruction what's the world say? Oh, no, you do it this way Hey, how many times have you heard people say this? Oh, I don't want to become a Christian yet because I'm too young and I want to have some fun in life and and I You know when I get old, I'm about ready to die. Then I'll become a Christian What? When you live the way of the world, what are you going to reap? Destruction. How about cut the destruction off now and follow Christ now? But that's option number one. Right? You're going to reap destruction if you follow that sin nature. But the one who sows to please who? Who? The Spirit, i.e. God, obviously, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So then let us, hello, choose the good way. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So the Bible, to me, is absolutely clear. I don't know how to get any clearer than this. Basically, Paul is telling us, Christian every single day, when we get out of bed, you got a choice to make. You are going to when you get out of bed. How many of you guys got out of bed today? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, I don't know how you got here. And uh, but you're scaring me. Okay, no, when you get out of bed, right, you're going to create a crop, right? Every day, it's a good farmer term. I grew up in Kansas. Every day, you're going to make a crop, right? You're going to produce a harvest right? And he narrows it down. He says, you got two choices every single day. What kind of crop you're going to do? He says, uh, uh, first one, it's a no-brainer. If you sow good things and do good things to other people and follow God's good ways, what do you get? You get a good harvest. You get a good crop, right? And isn't that what we say every single day? Oh, I want a good crop. I want a great day in God. I want things to go great. What do you do? Follow God. Do what he says. Piece of cake. That's all you got to do, right? But what was the other option? If you though live to yourself, if you listen and follow your sin nature, which we defined before as the me, myself, and I syndrome, the unholy trinity, okay, what are you gonna do? If that's your marching orders all day long, it's about what I want, self, me, myself, and I, what are you gonna get? Destruction, okay? Now here's the problem. Even though this is uh, plain, uh, plain in the scripture, and by the way, did you notice, God says, listen, you can balk at this rule, you're gonna create a harvest every single day. Good or bad? Life or destruction? Don't mock me. This is the facts. Don't disagree with me. This is the way it is. You can balk at it all you want. God will not be mocked. This is the rule. The law of reaping and sowing. God cannot be mocked. Here's the problem. Even though this is... In the scripture and god says don't be deceived this is the way it is and i can't be mocked don't you mock me this is the way it is. we still listen when we go through trials i don't know if you've noticed this but some people listen still want to blame their problems their bad harvest on god on the devil or other people instead of themselves now those are going to be options we'll get to that in a second but instead of dealing with the biggest enemy i believe that we have as christians ourselves the old us the me, myself, and I syndrome, the unholy trinity, we are our own worst enemy. We don't deal with that. And so we always want to do the blame thing, and so you never deal with the source. right? And it keeps the bad harvest going. Okay, And if we're honest with ourselves, hey, listen, how many times do we got to learn this? How many times do we got to get burned? When we listen to ourself, and if that's what you're going to do all day, hey, it's, it's coming. Oh, the plant hasn't fully matured yet, but by the end of the day, you're going to get a bad harvest. You ever done that? Okay, let me give you just one example. Okay, this actually happened. Uh, I was flying back to uh, Kansas for uh, my 10th year high school reunion. Obviously, that was last year. Yeah, we'll preach online next week. Uh, but it's so a 10-year high school reunion, right? And it was the first big reunion, right? Remember getting out of high school, it's like, oh, yeah, right? So what, what's the temptation? The temptation is to show everybody how awesome you've become after 10 years, right? Becoming conceited, show them, you know, put on the big show and all that stuff. And, but God was faithful. God was faithful my conceit there, uh, Corey. He had other plans for me. And so there I was, I kid you not, let me describe the scene for you, John, as I'm going to impress my high school uh, classmates there i'm on the plane there right i'm in california flying back to kansas and i'm all decked out listen to this buddy i have my brand new white shirt white shorts white socks that's right white shoes i was happening man it was i was like a human light bulb or something i don't know what was going on i guess that was supposed to be a cool outfit or, or something but anyway so so here what happened the steward has brought me the meal again that's how long ago this was <laughs> remember when they used to feed you now you get those nanobot and pretzels all two of them but anyway, but anyway, they used to bring you this meal, and so I eat this meal there. And Have you ever noticed back in the day when they used to bring you the meal, the, the meat actually conveniently somehow fit the square cube of the tray? Wait, cows don't come in squares. What are you doing? That's, that ain't right. That ain't real. What is this, foam? But anyway, so I ate this stuff anyway, and it came time for dessert. Now, dessert was uh, one of those containers. It was like this purple-looking yogurt stuff with this kind of like... F- the the lid thing you had to peel back, but it's not the nifty ones that today are easy to pull back. It's the ones you had to use your fingernails, but you have no fingernails. Right? All right. So I'm finally getting this thing. And so there I'm, I'm trying to pull back this purple looking yogurt stuff. And to keep me from becoming conceited, it blew up all over my white outfit. Huh? Oh, I was happening. I was cool. Uh, the rest of the flight involved people looking at me like I had some sort of serious eating disorder or something, but, uh, uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't done. Hey, no, no, I figured I could fix it, John. I, 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 I wasn't going to humble myself. No, no, I'll just change my clothes. And then I could still make it in time for the reunion and still look cool, right? And impress everybody. So, so therefore, God wasn't done yet. So the plane lands and we come to a halt. And I bent down, okay, to, to get my briefcase down there. I used to carry a briefcase before laptop bags came around. And uh, so I've written out, and I kid you not, as I went down, unbeknownst to me, the, the food tray fell down. And you know that. So I'm in that. And of course, I'm always in a hurry, right? Boom! I hit the corner of the food tray instantly, got a big old black eye. I mean, instantly, it wasn't, it was just boom right there. So, you gotta be kidding me, man. And so, uh, anyway, so then uh, <laughs> I started to walk through the airport and I got this purple goo all over me. I got black eye. I was like, man, they're gonna think I got in a fight with Barney the dinosaur and lost or something. But uh, so I, but I, I still wasn't done. I, I figured, no, 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 I, I, I'll find some ice, I'll get this swelling to go down, I'll still look cool at the 10 year reunion wasn't done yet so then i hop into this uh uh, car shuttle thing to go to the car rental place right there uh, to pick up the rental car and so i sat in the back there and of course you know in the back they're always trying to put luggage everywhere so they got these overhead luggage compartments You know, as you sit down, they're right here on the bus, right? So I'm sitting down there. So they finally make it to the car rental place, and they stopped, and and uh, all of a sudden, you know, of course, I'm in a hurry. So what do I do? I jump out as fast as I can. Bang! Smash my head right on the metal pipe. Big old giant goose egg. You silly bang. Yeah. Okay. At that point, I got it. Okay, and I and I did. I actually started laughing, and boy, did that hurt though. Uh, and I said, okay, God, okay, you got me, because I knew what was going on, God was convicting my spirit, no, 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 you're listening, you're following himself, man, don't do this, no, you're, you're going to reap a bad time, no, 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 don't do this, no, 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 right, okay, and honestly, the, the good news was, uh, he was changing my heart, because what he really wanted me to do with my 10-year high school reunion was to share Jesus, not to make an impression, okay, so, so my point is, hey, God's faithful, if he's got to use a bump on the head of black eye and a beating from Barney the dinosaur, he'll do it, okay, because he wants you to stop doing a bad harvest, okay? And again, folks, come on, man, I don't know how many stories. You guys know I got tons of these stories, unfortunately, okay? And uh, they happen all the time, but my point is, hey, do you really think it's just me? How many stories do you got? We all got them, right? Because this is what the scripture says, God cannot be mocked, right? A lot of the pain that we go through in life, it's sometimes the biggest culprit is us, the old us, the me, myself, and I syndrome, okay? And, and even though this is true, we go through difficulties, and we did it ourselves. Here's my secondary problem that I've noticed. See, if we can own up to it, like eventually I did after getting beat up pretty bad, okay, then God will turn around and do something great. But I know sometimes Christians will go through some hard times that they did themselves. God can still do something great to it, because that's how powerful and sovereign he is. But then, they won't admit it, they'll literally shake a fist and get mad at God. And to me, I don't know about you, I don't know if it's just from what I got saved from and how I know I deserve to go straight to hell for what I did. But when people start talking like that, I like to go over here about a good 10 paces. Because when the lightning bolt gets him, I'm going to be okay. What's the scripture say? Who are you, old man, to talk back to God? You did it yourself, and you're going to sit there and get mad at him. Let me give you some scenarios. You run across, right? You know, for instance, you hear somebody get mad at God. It's again, whoa, don't, hmm. Why, God, why? Why did I get cancer? What's going on? Where did you leave me? Excuse me? How many years ago did he warn you? Would you please stop smoking? I'm not being harsh, but listen. I told you, you reap what you sow. Why wouldn't you listen? And then you're going to blame it on me? Or the person wondering, God, why, why, why am I in jail? I'm facing serious charges and all these fines. I'm going to go bankrupt. My family, excuse me, he didn't put the alcohol in your hand and make you get out there and drive drunk. In fact, he warned you in his word, don't do a life of drunkenness. How many times is that in the Bible? Why? Because you reap what you sow. He's not being mean. He's trying to protect us. Or a person complaining, I do not got enough money about God. How come we never have enough money to pay the bills? I might lose our home or our apartment or whatever. Just nothing. Around. Excuse me. He's not out there making you buy uh, beer and go gambling and get into or materialism, which is idolatry, because you got to buy enough things to impress people you don't know, who in the end don't even care. And now you're up to eyeballs in debt, which stands for dumb excuses for buying things, right? Haven't you learned that one yet? And yet, how many times in the Scripture does God say, would you please be a wise steward with what I gave you? Because it all comes from God. And then you're going to have the audacity to sit there like got?" We're the biggest enemy. We're the biggest. And if we would just own up to it, even listen when we do make those kind of mistakes. God loves us. And he'll do something fantastic even when it's our own doing. But because we choose to listen to our own sin nature instead of the Spirit of God, you reap what you sow. Okay? It's either a good harvest or a bad harvest. Every single day, the choice is ours. But that's one of the reasons why the Bible says that suffering occurs. Now, the second possibility, building on that, Unfortunately, is it also happens because of other people's sin? Could be your own sin, but you might have to go through some hard times because frankly you didn't do it, somebody else did do it. Other people sin. And here's the problem: it's bad enough we got to deal with our own sin nature, right? And all the goofball decisions that we make. But if you stop and think about it, folks, we live in a whole world full of people. Guess what they got too? They got a sin nature. Did you guys notice that when you got married? I mean, I I I got married, and it was like within a week I'm going, whoa, 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 what did I do? This lady. She's got a sin nature. Look what she's doing. And of course, three days earlier, my wife, Sharper, she realized, What in the world did I do? Look at that guy. He's got, right? right?" And that's where you get a lot of conflict going on. Why? Because now you're in a close environment with two of you who got a sin nature. Our whole world is like that. Our whole world has this sin nature. And contrary to what the world says, it started at birth. Okay, it passed on since the fall of mankind. This is what David says in the book of Psalm, Psalm 51, verse five. He says, surely I was sinful when? You don't become a sinner, you are born that way. Okay, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, it's transmitted to every human being and it's been that way ever since. Where do we get this rebellion? Where do we get this mindset that, oh no, I'm gonna do it my own way. I'm gonna become my own God. I'm gonna decide what's good and right and wrong. They came from Satan. They came from the temptation of Garden of Eden. That mentality that the world says, do it all. It's about you, 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 self, self, self. That's the fall of Satan. That desire to rebel, to do life your way or the highway. That's the fall of mankind. That's the sinful nature, okay? The world says that people are basically born good. The Bible says, are you kidding me? We're born dead on arrival spiritually, okay? We are spiritually cut off from God because we're born with this sin nature. We've inherited this at birth. It wants to do its own thing, its own way, in its own time. Listen, and it will step on anyone and everyone who gets in their way. And we've talked about this so many times on Wednesday night studies. This is so easy to validate that we're born with the sin nature. We don't acquire it later or become one after we have some bad influences. No, you're born that way. And the easy way to demonstrate that is with kids. Right? How many guys, as parents, you worked diligently the first six months of your child's existence teaching them this word they desperately needed to know? And that is this word, no. <laughs> now the answer to that is what? No. I didn't have to teach them no. Right? Where did they get this rebellion when I would give them an order, ask them to do something? Where did that come from? I didn't teach them that word. My wife didn't teach me that. Where did you automatically get this rebellious desire? Yeah. Now, how many guys as parents had to teach your kids? Because, man, would you? Listen, I know you're about ready to talk. It's been about nine months now, and you're getting the goo-goo gag-ass down pretty good, right? Okay, I understand that, right? You're starting to throw the ball, so I'm starting to get more interactive. Hey, have you been there as a guy? Remember that, right? You couldn't wait till your kid actually did something constructive to engage with them. Have you noticed that? Right? The ladies are all there. They're like the baby. I was waiting for Rebecca to do something. Move. Will you throw a ball at me? Right, it's just a guy thing. But anyway, so you're, they're doing pretty good. You know, nine months they're starting to goo goo ga, ga, ga. And then I, I was so desperate. And speaking of Rebecca, I, I was working so hard. I, oh, Rebecca, you're you're just so you're so generous. You're so kind. You you give away your toys so freely. And, and every time somebody wants to borrow something, you 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 do that. Would you? Oh, please, uh, Rebecca, would you please stop sharing so much? Did anybody have to teach your kid that? No. What is the outside of no? What was the next thing that came out of your kid's mouth? Mine. I didn't teach you to say that. Where'd that come from? Right? It's what the scripture says. Surely we were born uh, sinful at birth some of the time our mother conceived us. Now, that's all kind of in jest. That just proves the biblical point. The problem with that, without the Spirit of God, when this self gets out of control, it's destructive. When self is all about self, I don't care who gets in my way, I'll take you out. That's how evil that thing is. And that's where suffering comes from. And one guy puts it this way. He says, listen, who can explain? And these are all true accounts, by the way. Who can explain a mother heartlessly drowning her two young children supposedly to perpetuate an ill-fated love affair? Remember that? Who can explain the cold-hearted murder of their parents by two young teenagers? Who can explain the brutal killing and beating of a two-year-old boy at the hands of a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old in England? Who can explain the dreadful crimes of at least two teenage girls in Ontario where a young man tortured, raped, and mutilated them while the sister of one of the victims watched it and videotaped it later for their viewing pleasure? Who can explain the honor roll killings in Fullerton, California when a handful of Ivy League students bludgeoned to death one of their classmates and then just calmly left for a New Year's Eve party? Who can explain the ripping open of a woman's body to wrench the child from her womb to kidnap it? The list seems endless and sickening. How will we give an answer for this? And he says, it's obvious that the answers based on the world's assumptions can neither explain nor solve this remedy. But here's the good news, the Bible can. We live in a fallen creation that's rebelled against God, full of people who want to be the master of their own destiny, who will step on anyone that gets in self's way. Including their own parents, their own children, or a random person who walks across their path. Why? Because surely we were sinful at birth. Sinful from the time our mothers conceived us. We want what we want when we want it, not what God wants. We rebel against him and his way, which is the best way always. But when you listen to that, that's why suffering occurs. It occurs because of your own sin nature, but also because we're surrounded by a whole world of people who are also filled with one of those. A third one, believe it or not, even though a lot of people don't believe this in the church, uh, why does suffering occur? Sometimes it is demonic. The scripture's clear. It's called spiritual warfare. Yes, folks, demons are real. Okay, this is part of the equation. I didn't say that. God did. Let me just give you one easy passage here from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? Because, hey, the devil and demons are make-believe. We're just trying to scare you. No, because it's real. Why would you have the armor in the first place? So that you can take your stand against who? The devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just natural. Sometimes it's supernatural. Okay? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after have done everything to stand. Okay? So here the scripture is very clear, folks, that uh, we are in a battle down here, are we not? The, The language, all of the scripture, we talked about that last week with the Memorial Day message, freedom is not free, we are soldiers for Jesus Christ. How many times did God have to use battle terminology to describe what we're dealing with down here in life? And of course it's a battle. Look at everybody's full of this sin nature thing, right? But there's a spiritual element. These entities called demons who rebelled against God as well, called demons, who followed the ultimate rebellion, Satan. And it's real, okay? And that's the problem. We treat the Christian life as a, as a cakewalk. And yet the Bible says, no, it is a battleground, okay? And, and notice, according to our text, who is that battle against? I didn't say this, God did. Against a real devil and real demons in real dark, evil places. And yet, as I shared before, the last stat I came across, 65% of the professing American church doesn't even believe in a literal devil. What? What Bible are you reading, right? 65% is crazy, okay? No wonder things are all messed up. I mean, no wonder the, the American church is going down the tubes, right? We don't even believe in a literal devil. And think about it, if you were him, isn't that one of the first things you would do to take out the church, right? I mean, wouldn't you get people to think that somehow, some way, even though if you just read the Bible, <laughs> that somehow, way, you get them to think it's just make-believe. You're just that cartoon guy with the pitchfork and, and all this stuff. It's just No, it's just a moral, you know, picture to teach us between right and right. No! But wouldn't you try to get people to think you didn't exist? Why? Because then you could sneak right in their midst and be right there with them. And they're totally oblivious. You wouldn't have to shoot them from afar. You can come right in their own camp and take them down. It's called sneak attack. And believe it or not, folks, That does happen. I've dealt with this in every single church that I've had the privilege of being a pastor in. Every single one of them. And sometimes, especially when things are going good, these people will come in your midst. And if you're not uh, finally attuned to the Scriptures and the Spirit of God, they're there to bring destruction. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's look at some former Satanists who admit what they used to do while they were serving The devil let's take a look at that
1: christians are the satanist worst enemy they are out to torment you they are out to blackmail you they they will even kill you they even try to kill me um when i came out of um black witchcraft
0: if you're in a church where the spirit of god is really moving and where the word of god is really being preached and where prayer is really going up to heaven for the salvation of souls then they're going to regard you as their mortal enemies and they're going to be out there trying everything they can to to destroy to kill and to maim because that is of course the nature of satan and that is also the nature of his followers they will try and infiltrate your church they will try and set up whispering campaigns against the pastor and the elders they may even try to seduce the pastor For two years I was involved in the Baptist Church. I was constantly complaining about the pastor's sermons being too long, being too dry, sowing discord between the people, gossiping about others. As each member
1: uh, is initiated into the coven, they are commissioned to do a job, and one individual's job may be to uh, desecrate a church. Some Satanists who were handpicked, the most powerful ones, were sent into churches to disrupt the meeting. and we stopped people from going forward when they um, asked for people to go forward and accept christ as their savior
0: i personally in fact was trained to learn all of the, the 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 christian jargon you know to say hallelujah and praise the lord and do all the right things and yet i i had no more idea of jesus being my savior than than a man on the moon if you can tear down the prayer foundation of a church then you've destroyed that church. And that's what every witch or Satanist plans to do when they go into a church is to tear down that prayer foundation and the rest of the church goes quickly after that. Wow. Not to freak you out, but who's that person sitting next to you? I, I was probably about a year and a half ago, I came across this pastor's report, and uh, this was down in, uh, I think, uh, Australia, but I don't think it's uh, just uh, only for that area, and uh, in that particular denomination, they were put, it was such a repetitive experience uh, that they had to put out a report to the pastors, and I got a copy of it, and the copy was basically, watch out for these people who come to your church services, and uh, they are, it's witches. And the witches are getting so bold because now Hollywood's made it all acceptable and people are getting into it. And they don't call it witchcraft anymore. It's Wicca, which is old-fashioned witchcraft. Everybody's into these movies, witch movies, uh, demon movies, uh, vampire movies. All, it's make it all conditional. So they're in there in the midst. They're they getting so bold, they're coming into the church, the report said. And they said they're specifically in there. Listen, the, uh, some of the ones that were more charismatic who believe in the speaking in tongues thing, whatever, that's a whole other issue, But people would think that, oh, look, they're speaking in tongues. No, they're not. They're in there saying their incantations trying to bring a curse upon that church. And then they specifically want to influence people and use their charms to get favor and to work in and start teaching Sunday school classes and hopefully, ultimately, to get onto the board because the church goes down after that. Once you grab control of the leadership of the church, the church is done. This is real stuff, folks. that really goes on former Satanists admitting what they do, and yet 65% of the professing American church says, no, (laughs) that's just make-believe. Don't let those people try to scare you. Are you kidding me? Why does suffering occur? Because sometimes we're being attacked, whether we believe it or not, Christian, by the very forces of evil. And again, I'm telling you, especially when things are taking place that are good. Not necessarily when things are bad, it's because things are good. Because you're becoming a threat and somebody wants to take you out. You're making a difference for Jesus Christ. And notice again the tactics that oftentimes they use, right? How many guys would admit that if today, right now, all six of those stained glass windows, three on either side, each one, six demons came flying in. <laughs> how many guys would say you'd probably freak out a little bit? See, that's too obvious, right? Right? That's too obvious. So, so how do you take down a church, right? You can't do that. That's too obvious. People will catch on, each split a, a little whisper here. A little slander here. I'm talking about, you know, get the Christians away from prayer and Bible study and getting serious about serving Jesus, and bang, you're done. Because you will end up destroying each other. Right? Be careful. Be careful. We need to support one another. But that's not all. The fourth possibility the Bible says why does suffering occur? Certainly our own sin in nature, somebody else's sin nature. Yes, spiritual warfare. But sometimes, did you know it's none of that? Did you know what simply might be simply for the glory of God? Okay, and this is one I think that sometimes we miss. Okay, and this is one example we see in the book of John, chapter 9. Jesus talking about this, verse 1 through 3. As he went along, Jesus, he saw a man uh, blind from what? Birth. Now, notice the instantaneous response when somebody's going through a hard time, i.e., this guy's dealing with a health issue, blindness. What's the instantaneous response? His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who what? Sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. See, isn't that what happens? You, it's bad enough you're going through a hard time in life, and then somebody comes up to you with the gift of discouragement, I mean encouragement, right, and, oh, it must be some secret sin. Look what you did. Oh. Maybe. Maybe it is. You reap what you sow, but maybe not. Maybe it's to glorify God. We forget that, right? And we beat each other up. He said this, neither this man nor his parents sin," said Jesus, but this happens so that what? The work of God might be displayed in his life. So Jesus gives us another reason why we go through pain and suffering. And sometimes, Christian, believe it or not, it's not about us. It's about God. And he will allow us to go through things as his vessel, as his billboard. And he'll allow us to suffer for his glory, to draw attention to him. And I would hope and assume we would have prayed that at least once. God, use me to glorify you. Well, guess what? Sometimes he's glorified in our pain, the way we handle it. Brings him glory. Jesus makes a statement there uh, for the glory of God. But right after that, if you know the account, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. He, He healed the man of blindness and God was glorified because of that. And so sometimes, Christian, when we suffer, it really is not only for our highest good, it's for God to be glorified. And I don't know about you, but I have personally witnessed over and over again in my walk with jesus christ uh but if you think about the apostle paul's life he went through every single one of these reasons every single one that we saw today about pain and suffering in one life let me share that example one paul suffered under his own sin did he not when he was on the road to damascus and 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 seeking to capture and kill christians right do self that's what self told him was the right thing to do and what happened bang god knocked him off his high horse Right? And he was uh, struck with temporary blindness, but when all was said and done, what happened? Paul became the greatest ally of Christianity. What happened? It was certainly for Paul's highest good. Now he's not going to hell. Okay? Number two, it worked out for God's glory. Right? Number two, Paul suffered under other people's sin. Right? When the Jews wanted to assassinate him, how many guys would say somebody trying to kill you is a big thing? Right? So Paul dealt with this. He's sharing the gospel, he's doing God's will, and they want to kill him. But what happened? They pulled him away. It led him to a trip to Rome at Rome's expense where he admitted he wanted to go to in the first place. Yahoo, free ticket, right? All because people were trying to kill him for Paul's highest good and for God's glory. Third, we see that Paul, he suffered under demonic activity. You read Corinthians, he had this thorn in the flesh. What's the thorn in the flesh? It's crazy. People, well, maybe it was this or that or this theory. What's it say there? It says it's a messenger of Satan. Angelos, it's the same word. What's, What's a messenger? What's an angel of Satan? A demon. So this tells us God, listen, allowed Paul to be demonically tortured. Why? To keep him humble. I guess that's why I don't complain about getting beat up by Barney. I'll take that instead of a demon. Okay, but what, what happened was that because god's mean no he did it for paul's highest good and for god's glory Okay, do you see the pattern everything we go through in life christian Everything we go through in life. It's is it could be a result of our own sin It could be somebody else's sin. It could be spiritual warfare But this is the great new god turns it all around for our highest good and for his glory You follow him you do what he says you christian. We will always eventually come out on top That's something that the world doesn't have in fact, in fact, once again, if you guys recall, I know we had a week break there, but uh, last time we left off with the story of Zach. remember that guy? OK, Speaking of God's glory. OK? And uh, I want to I uh, share a video of Zach's wife, OK? And uh, Zach was that young Christian man, if you recall, had that young Christian family and the wife, and he was battling with uh, that cancer. Remember that? And remember his final statements there? His strength that he had as he was wondering what's going to happen there. He looked death and cancer in the face and he said, if God chooses to heal me, then God is still good and God is still God. But if God chooses not to heal me and I should die, then God is still God and God is still good to God be the glory. Remember that? Remember? Can you imagine looking death in the face and that's, whoa. That's the sovereignty of God. Now, let's take a look at the rest of his story as told to his wife, Mandy. Let's take a look.
1: The day that Zach died, there was a huge and sudden storm. The kind that creeps in without warning, comes at you fast and leaves in an instant. As I was saying goodbye to my love, the clouds came, the earth shook, and the thunder rumbled. One year and eight days after being diagnosed with cancer, Zach stepped into eternity. Ever since I was a little girl, I asked God to bring me the perfect husband. Zach and I met in the fall of 1994, and after four years of dating, we got married. We added to the joy in our lives by having our only girl, Lizzie Darling. And then 19 months later, God blessed us with our first boy, Jake. But our family wasn't complete there. We then had our cherry on top, Luke. We were a perfectly happy family of five. When Zach died, I was wrecked. In an instant, I had lost my husband, my best friend, and an incredible father. My world had changed forever. My identity in the past 17 years had been so much about who I was with Zach. He was my everything. Even though he dealt with a year-long battle of cancer, it seemed all so sudden. And now the kids and I were left to learn how to grow. We spent the next few months trying to figure out what this life without Zach was supposed to look like. His absence was overwhelming. I prepared way too much food at dinner, not remembering that he wasn't there to eat it with us. One side of the bed always stayed made. There was no one to sleep in it. His chair sat empty, and I no longer heard the sounds of him and the kids playing while watching TV. We were now a family of four. Grief is so hard. No one can tell you how you are going to feel or when it will strike, but God is so good and so faithful. He has given hope to our family, hope for today when we grieve and all of the tomorrows that are yet to come. God has shown hope to my family through circumstances, gifts of goodness, and through the promises in his word. Zach and the boys were always such huge Broncos fans. And in October, we had the opportunity to fly to Denver, Colorado, and get to meet two of the Broncos players, Tim Tebow and Britton Colquitt. This was such a dream come true for my boys. And then in November, Family First organization flew us to Tampa Bay, Florida, to receive the All Pro Dad Award from Tony Dungy. It was so awesome to see my kids receive a standing ovation in honor of their dad. It was such a blessing to see how Zach's story and suffering blessed others. But even after the incredible experiences God has brought to us, and through the love and support that we receive from family and friends, God ultimately shows His goodness to us through the promises in His Word. Jeremiah 29:11 tells us that God has a plan for us, and that plan is to prosper, and it's for hope, and it's for a future. I tell my kids this all the time. God is not a God of chaos. He doesn't just throw stuff to us in our lives and then walk away. He has a plan for us. We might not always understand that plan, but we know that it is good. There are some days that are really hard, and yes, times are tough. But God reminds us of His goodness through the promises in His Word. God shows hope to people in different ways. What's been my experience might not be yours, but I can tell you this. If you desperately seek and run after Him, He will make Himself known to you. As Zach's soul left the earth and went to where it was meant to be, I looked out the window, and as the storm cleared, the sun began to shine through the clouds. It was then I realized that he was healed. He was no longer in pain. At that moment, God gave me hope. God knew that I would be a widow and mother to three at the age of 32. Why did he allow this to happen? I don't have all the answers, but I do know that I will praise God because through cancer and death and grief, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory.
0: How do you do that? How do you look at the loss of a loved one as a Christian? And the reality of starting all over again as a single parent. How do you look it straight in the face with genuine conviction and say God is still God? And God is still good to God be the glory. I love that line that she shared there. God doesn't throw anything in our way and then walk away. You do it when we realize that as a Christian, no matter what we go through life, even, yes, sometimes it's because of our own doing, our own sin nature. Maybe it was out of our hands. Maybe it was something that somebody threw our way. Maybe it really was some sort of a spiritual thing and we're serving Jesus Christ. But God is still God, and God is still good. He will turn it all around for his glory, for our highest good. That's why you can say, to God be the glory. And when we do, like Zach and now even his wife and kids, we are strengthened with a supernatural strength to make it through anything that this life throws our way. And isn't that what we pray for? God, give me that strength. That when the hard times come and you put me on display for you amidst this wicked world that I'll shine for you. That comes when you understand the sovereignty and the goodness of God. He'll never throw something your way. And then back away. He's always with us wherever we go. Amen. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.